Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40, when Jesus was presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that he will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Good morning. Good morning, church family. What are you going to be doing today, Mr. Simeon? Someone might have asked him. Well, said Simeon, I'm going to spend today waiting. But Mr. Simeon, wasn't that what you were doing yesterday? Yes, said Simeon, that is what I do every day. You just wait? Well, it's not all I do, but it's mostly what I do. Well, it must be great to be retired. Yes, it is wonderful to be retired. 
Mr. Simeon, what is it exactly that you are waiting for? Well, I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. Or if you like, I'm waiting for the salvation of Israel. Mr. Simeon, do you think you will recognize this when it happens? Oh yes, oh yes. When I see him, the Messiah, I will know that it is him. And Luke tells us that when Jesus' parents brought Jesus into that temple area, Simeon took him up in his arms, blessed God and said, Lord God, I can now die in peace, for with my own eyes I have seen your salvation. First of all, I want to put that story in its context and say that Mary and Joseph here are complying with God's commands. The Torah, the Old Testament law, required three things which are relevant to the birth of a male child here. First of all, the circumcision of a male child, which was a formal acceptance of the child into God's covenant with Abraham. You can find all that in Genesis 17. And then there's the ritual purification of the mother after childbirth. That happened 33 days after the circumcision of a male child. And then thirdly, the consecration of the firstborn male to the Lord. That's found in Exodus chapter 13. So Mary and Joseph are following the law of God in this visit to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, in passing, it's interesting to note that the sacrifice offered by Mary and Joseph here were a pair of doves or perhaps two young pigeons. In the Old Testament law, one could offer a lamb or a pair of dove or, or pigeons in these circumstances. And the offering of a pair of doves or pigeons indicates that Mary and Joseph were probably relatively poor. Because in Leviticus chapter 12, it says of the woman that she could offer a pair of pigeons or doves if she could not afford a lamb. And that seems to be the case. Also in context here, I want you to notice the very strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit's role in this whole storyline. Number of times, three times at least, the Holy Spirit is mentioned here. Now, this morning I want to um, look at that phrase, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The word salvation comes from the noun to save, and we use the word save a lot in our culture. I'm a sports person. I talk about when I play golf, I've saved par. Or I've watched my son play football, the goalkeeper makes a, a fantastic save. He saved a certain goal. In our culture today, speaking about the climate, we talk about saving the planet. In financial things, we talk about saving the economy. But I want to ask the question, how <clears throat> is that word salvation being used here 
in Luke chapter 2. And what would have been understood by that word salvation? In other words, what is this salvation for which Simeon has been waiting for many years? What was the expectation of the average Jew when they heard that word salvation? And I can tell you, in a word, it was deliverance. It was redemption. When a Jew heard that word salvation, their minds would have gone right back to the Exodus story when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And if you look at um, the previous chapter in Luke, there's a famous song by a man called Zechariah. He's the father of John the Baptist. And in chapter one of Luke, we have a song been sung as Zechariah is filled with the Spirit of God. He sings a song, and this idea of salvation being deliverance comes through. He says in verse 71 of that chapter, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. So what I'm saying here, it was a nationalistic kind of salvation. You see, for six centuries or more, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, had been under the oppression, the authority of pagan empires. Started with the Babylonians, then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now it was the Romans. And salvation for the Jew meant deliverance from the domination of those pagan empires, and now Deliverance from the Roman oppression. It was a nationalistic salvation. However, if you look at that song sung by Zechariah, halfway through, the idea of salvation begins to change. Look at these words in chapter 1, verse 76 and 77. And you, my child, is talking about John the Baptist will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, now listen to this, through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah is taking people in a different direction in his understanding of salvation. And I think as people heard that song being sung, I think it must have been a bit of a, well, this is, this is a, a bit different. If you go into chapter 3 of uh, Luke, you find John the Baptist uh, saying this, or Luke saying this about John the Baptist. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I want to say to a, a, a statement and then a little bit more about a statement to get us into what's been said here and how Luke is beginning to change that kind of nationalistic deliverance, physical deliverance from enemies into something quite different. The salvation meaning the forgiveness of sins. I want to say this, the deliverance, the salvation, the people desired at this time, was not the deliverance the people required. 
I say that again. The deliverance, the salvation the people desired was not the deliverance the people required. And I want to go on to say this. Often, even today, the saving activity of God becomes simply an activity of a God who fulfills our needs, directly answering our felt needs, rather than being something we, he needs to give us, we require. The redeeming activity of God, in other words, on the part or behalf of man, becomes what man wants from God, not what we require from God, forgiveness. Now, with those thoughts in mind, let's look again at this passage and particularly Simeon's words. First of all, it's quite clear. It's not a nationalistic salvation. It is salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Look again at chapter 2, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And as we go through and look at Simeon's words further, it's quite clear this Messiah, this one who's going to be the consolation for Israel, a revelation to the Gentiles, this Messiah is not coming, is he, as an all-conquering warrior-type figure. He will meet opposition. He will divide opinion. Some will side with him. And others will be his enemy. Look at verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then I just want to draw your attention to those uh, final words of verse 35. A sword will pierce your own soul also. I think those final words of Simeon are rather ominous, aren't they? Luke, in one sense, is setting up the scene for the rest of his gospel. Now, I want you to imagine yourself, a Jew, hearing those words. What would you be thinking? Your understanding of what Messiah means is going to be challenged there. These are ominous words from Simeon, and they are meant to get us thinking. That's why Luke includes them. And you and I, knowing Luke's gospel, know what those words refer to. The arrest, trial, the crucifixion of Jesus, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing helpless and powerless, watching her son die an awful death on the cross. So what I'm saying here in this particular passage, the one who Simeon sees, the one whom he says, I've seen your salvation, that one does not bring what the people wanted or even desired. It doesn't bring a nationalistic salvation. It's far bigger is to do with the very heart of the problem between man and God. Salvation 
in this situation means saved from their sins, saved from the consequences of their their sins. At the heart of salvation here for Luke was the forgiveness of sins. And the Apostle Paul, a great friend of Luke, says in his letter to the church at Rome that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and therefore we all need forgiveness. We all need a saviour. We all need salvation. Luke makes a special point about the gospel of Jesus Christ in his particular writings. He records in the earlier chapter one, the angel saying, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. One scholar has said this, and I quote him, there's more joy in Luke's gospel than any of the others. The gospel brings joy, especially, as Luke puts it, in a way, in this way, the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. It's a gospel of joy. And Luke's very last sentence portrays the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus has ascended to the Father, they return to Jerusalem with what? With great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Last week, I talked about in the final part of the Advent story about Jesus, about his second coming, about the fact that he would come to judge the living and the dead. And I spoke about that in that time when he comes. All will be revealed. Nothing will be hidden. All our thoughts all our, our words, all our actions will be there to be seen. Nothing hidden. And I talked about the joy of knowing at that time when Christ does come to judge the living and the dead, to reveal all, the joy of the assurance of being accepted by God. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven, knowing that we've been reconciled to this holy God, knowing that nothing stands before us and this holy God, knowing that he's blessed us with his salvation. Let's go and celebrate that this Christmas.